it's good for me to be back here. Uh, I've known Vicky for how, how long ago, Vicky? Years. Yeah, 60, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we were younger at that time. And uh, it's good to have Nancy here. This is her first time here. I have some, uh, by the way, I grew up, uh, if you go out Highway 73 out of Huntersville, you'll, you'll pass after, uh, I don't know how many miles, Odell High School. I don't know if you, it's not a high school now. I graduated from Odell there, and for me, this is coming back home, and I feel, uh, I feel really a part of this. It feels good to me to be back in this area. And so today, uh, I'm going to use Judges chapter 6 if you believe in carrying a Bible and reading it or a, a phone or an iPad or a computer, whatever you choose to use. Uh, I have some uh, good news and bad news for you today. Which would you like first? The bad news. Okay. Everybody okay if we start with the bad stuff, get that over with? Uh, God does not ask you to do anything. Aren't you glad? Isn't that kind of like a, that doesn't sound like bad news. He never, God never asked. Remember, we're talking about the creator of the universe. We're talking about the one who gave his son Jesus to die for us. We're talking about the God who said light be and light was. We're talking about the God who oversees everything and who will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. God does not ask. Ready for the good news? God tells you what to do. <laughs> he commands. And you only have two options. You can obey. Yes, I'll do that. You can say, no, disobedience. Now, the common thing people do when God speaks to them is they say, I need to go pray about it, which means no. It, it, options are only yes and no. And our goal as followers of Jesus Christ is to know him so well, to fall so passionately in love with him, that he's not just some God we sing about, but he's some God that talks to us and relates to us in a very close manner. So when he says, turn right, turn right, we turn right. We, we do what he says. God is a God who commands. And our story from Judges opens today with uh, 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 the Midianites and the uh, Canaanites and the Hebrews. And the Midianites, Canaanites were making war on all the Hebrews. They would come in and destroy crops. They would bring their cattle, their sheep, into the Hebrew uh, farmland and let them eat everything. And if you tried to stop them, uh, they would take all of your cattle and sheep and they would also take you or your family or just simply kill you. It was perilous times uh, to live in. It was not safe during those days. I, I don't know about you guys, it's not exactly safe today where we live in Colorado all kind of stuff going on. Fortunately, uh, our neighbors don't come and take our stuff uh, that we know of. And, and so uh, Gideon was a farmer, and he, 
he had wheat, and the Hebrews also raised a lot of grapes, so they would have pits in the ground uh, with wood around it where they would take the grapes and crush it. They were under trees, so you could hide, and the Midianites wouldn't know you were there. So Gideon is in the midst of this pit. He's not crushing grapes. He's threshing wheat. He's stomping on the wheat. He's taking the wheat, throwing it up not very high in the air, hoping the wind will catch the chaff on the wheat and blow the chaff out, and the wheat will settle in the bottom. And he's pretty busy, and he honestly is... He's a hider, and God shows up, sits on the side of the pit that he's in, and Gideon is paying no attention, and suddenly God speaks to him, and he says, hello, mighty warrior. And Gideon, who has been hiding like a coward, turns and sees the eternal one, the one who does not ask, sitting on the edge of this pit. Now, here's something else God knows. God knows your real identity. We often live with a false identity. People have told us we're no good. They've told us we're not smart. They've told us we, 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 we don't know what we're doing. Some people have been told they'll never amount to anything. Sometimes our parents or our relatives or just people have said horrible things about us, and it's much easier to believe a lie than the truth. Inside of our mind, we'll start living out this this untruth that we have about who we are. And when you don't know who you are, you won't know what you do. You'll lose your destiny. Our destiny, what we do, the stuff God places in our heart is based on who we are, who he says we are, not who somebody else says we are. Uh, God, uh, here's some more good news. God is never wrong. He's always right. And what he says about you is exactly the truth. And so right away, God challenges Gideon. He says, Gideon, uh, and I'm paraphrasing this. You can read it in uh, a translation that doesn't paraphrase. He said, by the way, I like to paraphrase things. It helps me remember it better to do that. He says, Gideon, get out of this pit. I'm going to use you to set the Hebrews free from the Midianites. And I think Gideon is foursquare. He seems to be that. Because he has an excuse. He says, hold on, almighty one, the one who knows everything, the one who created me in my mother's womb, the one who wrote in his book before I was ever born all about me, who figured out what I was to do. Hold on, you can't be right. Because you see, you see, God, my family, our clan is the least in all of Manasseh, we're, we're nothing. And, and God, just in case you didn't know this, I am the least in my family. I'm the least in all of this land. I'm nothing. You ever thought thoughts like that, that you're nothing? Remember, God sees you as you are, 
as he made you to be, not as you think you are. So he's, out, he's about giving us a new identity. And let me ask you a question. What, what's your excuse? What do you say when God speaks to you? Do you, do you take the approach, I, I don't even know if that's God? Uh, do you fall back on, I think I heard I was supposed to do this, but I, I don't know. So, uh, Pastor, a while ago, you gave the three things that Foursquare Missions does. And, and we've added another one now. It's what, it's what this church is becoming. The word is sin. So we want you to pray, give, and go, but we also want you to sin, which simply means to me that some of you are not destined to live all your life in Mooresville. Uh, that, that, that would mean that God's plans for you are different than your plans and that, uh, that he, he wants you to go somewhere else. Now, maybe somewhere else is across the street. That, that's always a possibility. Sometimes it's harder to go across the street than to Jamaica. Uh, to go to people we know can be very difficult. So... You only have two options. If you want to be a missionary, let me give you a quick thing on how to do it. To be a missionary, uh, you talk, first of all, to your pastor. He will help you through that process. You come to our training, and we send you uh, with the cooperation of the church. Uh, David is one of our coaches who coaches missionaries through the process. It is easy. God does not create a hard pathway for you to walk on to get where he wanted you to be. However, if you, if you ever write anything down in church, you might want to write this. God never, ever, ever asks you to do something you can do. If he did that, you would need him. He's putting you in a position where you constantly have to need him. You constantly have to have him. Nancy and I begin uh, uh, the most wonderful, marvelous, frightening, scary journey of our 54 years of marriage uh, in May. Uh, I, I believed wrongly. I thought I was a man of faith, a man of trust. I, I thought that I knew God really well, and I discovered in May I wasn't sure he loved me. I was pretty sure I didn't have any faith or trust in him. What I didn't know was his faithfulness at keeping his word. And for me, it was... Uh, it was frightening to do that. It was scary. As we begin this journey of transitioning from somebody taking care of us into the missionary status that all four square missionaries have to live in. It's, it's required that you have a destiny of what you're going to do, where you're going to go, and that you trust other people 
to support you in that journey. And uh, on behalf of both Nancy and me, thank you for your support, for what you do. Uh, we we are, are so grateful for you. The money that you give monthly is our strength, and it gets us to to go where we need to be. Our assignment is fourfold. We are our uh, emissary missionaries to Europe, all of Europe, the 44 nations, to all the Caribbean. Uh, we have four square churches on 11 of those islands, and to all the 50 states here in the U.S. By the way, are, are you leading the trip to Alaska? When are you going? Oh, good. I thought I heard March. And I, oh, yeah, I was going to tell you, take a coat if you're going to Alaska. <laughs> In March, it, it could be cold there. Uh, and uh, we, we also, by the way, one of the biggest things we love to do is connect with pastors. Uh, do you know that many pastors, particularly pastors of small churches and small towns, are just waiting to drop out of ministry? They just can't do anything else. They've been trained in one thing, and they're hurting so bad, they're lonely, just like a missionary is. They get lonely, they run out of funds, and they don't have anybody to talk to. So we're creating teams, we're creating work where people don't have to drop out of ministry. Uh, uh, David, how old are you? 45. 45. You had to think for a moment, yes. That's a bad sign, David. do you guys know what an insurance actuary is? That's where the insurance company tells you how long you'll live based on your job. So a pastor falls in the professional uh, ranks. A, a coal miner falls in a different rank. A truck driver falls in a different rank. So in an insurance actuary the average lifespan of a medical doctor. Any medical doctor is age 58 and a half, which is not very old. They, they uh, are on call. They deal with people who are sick. They deal with people who are dying. Uh, they, they, I mean, people seldom, they, occasionally people go to the doctor, just to be sure they're healthy, but most of the time, doctors are dealing with people with ailments, 58 and a half. A pastor deals with basically the same thing. Uh, uh, by the way, when that doctor dies, his wife is usually rich. <laughs> a, a, a pastor... Uh, are there any doctors in here? I'm sorry, I'm not taking a shot at you, not wishing you to die. Uh, the uh, average lifespan of a pastor is age 58. He's the youngest professional to die. He's on call. He deals with people with ailments. Some are physical. Some are mental, some are emotional, and every one of them have spiritual things that he has to deal with. He, 
He works hard, long hours. Sometimes he gets a day off. Sometimes uh, his biggest enemies are people in his own church or a council who stab him in the back or stab his wife in the back or stab her husband in the back. Uh, It's rather precarious to walk that way. And most pastors, widows, don't die rich. Pastor doesn't die rich. The the pastor's wife has uh, she has to get a job. <laughs> so, do you understand why it's important a to take care of your pastor and his wife, to have their back, to love them, to care for them? If this church is to ever be what God destined it to be, to be a sending, loving, caring church, and you need all of that to do any of that stuff, then you got to start at the top. Take care of the pastor. Take care of the staff. Have their back. Don't let anyone's reputation suffer at your hands. Let this be a place of love, acceptance, uh, and forgiveness. Because everybody needs that. Every pastor needs it. Uh, I, I know David fairly well, and I can tell you, I'm guessing sometimes he makes mistakes. The best thing you can do is forgive him. Did I get that wrong? Oh, <laughs> well, uh, God starts showing up where people love, accept, and forgive one another. You do know when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor and yourself. He wasn't asking you to do that. That was a command. And love is an action word. I can tell David I love him and tell Nancy I love her. But it's an action word. That means I have to demonstrate it. And so God's calling us out of a pit. He's calling us into a different life. He has his hand on you. He has had it since you were born. In your mother's womb, he was beginning to form you into who he destined you to be. And before you ever were born, before your mommy and daddy were born, God had written in his book all about you and said, this is the plan I have for you. And you get to say yes or no to that plan. Don't settle in for just being who you think you are. Let God determine that and follow him. Then life becomes an adventure. So Gideon gets out of the pit, and he makes a sacrifice to God. He takes uh, either a sheep or a goat, sacrifices it, and he discovers in the middle of that sacrifice, he calls God by a name he's never been called before in the Bible. He says, I know who you are now. You are Jehovah Shalom, God of peace. And whenever you are coming out of a wrong identity, out of the pit, and you're starting to walk with God in a new way, he will ask you to make a sacrifice to him. And you are the sacrifice that has to be made. There's a story in First Kings about a Syrian king, Ben-Hadad, and Ahab, the Hebrew king. 
king of Israel. And uh, the 32 kings gathered with Ben-Hadad around the Israelites and began to do war against them. And then he sent a, a party in to talk to Ahab. And he said, the party said to Ahab, said, Ben-Hadad wants all your silver. He wants all your gold. He wants your cattle, your sheep, and he wants your wives as well. Which he's asking for everything, money, land, and people. And Ben-Hadad uh, asked for that. He's a mighty king. And Ahab's response was, King, I am yours and all that I have. And the king of glory, the great king above all other kings, the king before whom Ben-Hadad and Ahab will bow, says to us, I want everything you got, including you. I'll take it all. And our only response can be, I am yours and all that I have. That takes trust. It takes faith. And that's a process. When, when we found out uh, we, we were going to have to raise our support, I, I spent almost every morning for six weeks, getting up early and confessing to God how much I didn't trust him. I trusted myself a whole lot. Most of us like being in control. And suddenly I realized I was no longer in control of my life. And so God is always putting us into things we can't do. So we develop this relationship with him. So we know him more. And some of you, God's going to call across the street and some of you, some of you, he's going to call to Jamaica or Alaska or Timbuktu, wherever it happens to be. Our only response is yes or no. And we have to give up all of our excuses. And God takes Gideon one step further. He says, we're going to make war. We're going to win. Gideon, assemble an army. And so Gideon assembled 32,000 men, Hebrews. They had their swords, their bow and arrow, their knives. They were ready to go to fight 33,000 Midianites. And God says, hang on a minute, Gideon. If you go do that and you defeat them, you'll say, hey, look what we did. We're mighty. So tell everybody that's afraid to go home. Now, if you have an option to be afraid and go home or go into battle, I, I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to be one of those to go home. 22,000 strong Hebrew men chickened out and went home. And God said, that's really nice, Gideon. You're down to 10,000, but you know, I still won't get the glory out of this. Do you understand God wants the glory for everything we do? Not, not us, not our church. It all goes to God. And so he gave him a little test about drinking, not, not Jamaican rum. Gave him a little test about drinking water, and the way that they drank determined who would go home. Now Gideon's down to 300 men against 33,000. There was no need to go to that war, especially when God said, you won't need your swords, you won't need your knives. Take a lamp, put a cloth over it, and take a trumpet. 
and the people did that. They, they took the, uh, the cloth off the lamp. They took their trumpets and blew it and shouted, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and they did not have to fire a shot. Do you, you understand what God's capable of through you? Little as much when God is in it. We don't have to be the smartest, greatest people in the world. We just have to be obedient and watch what he will do for you. He will lead you on an exciting journey, one that's better than just doing nothing. And sometimes we get so locked into our job, and we just get comfortable with that. And God is always doing something else with us. Honey, you want to just come and say something to the people here? You haven't been using the terminology today that Gideon was in his comfort zone. And that's that's the lead in for me to talk I, I if was, he talks about comfort I zone. I was kind of waiting for you to do that. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I'm one that has lived in a comfort zone. When George was told that um, he was going to be raising his finances, it was going to require me to go out to California and take this training on how to raise support. Well, I don't love being around people for any great long time. I don't, I really don't like being in meetings. All the things that pastor's wives are usually required to do. Yeah, that was a big one. Anyhow, I went out to take this training. And for years, I've been asking God, I want to know what it feels like to live before I die. That sounds really sad, but that's, that was the cry of my heart because I knew that I wasn't experiencing life. And so when I went out to these um, sessions, the very first morning, I felt like the Lord said to me, if you want to know what it feels like to experience life, you've got to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. And that was like a revelation to me. But what I love about the Lord is when he says something to you, when he calls you like you're talking about, he prepares you. You're ready. And I don't even know how it happened, but I've never loved traveling with George because I didn't have control of my time. I was with people all the time. And so I was always happy for him to go, and I'd be there when he got home. And I have a really cozy little house with a really comfortable couch and all the Hallmark movies you could possibly watch. So what else could a person want? (laughs) But anyhow, it's been, I don't even understand it, how God has done this, but he prepared me, and never before was I able to travel with George, and now I can, and it hasn't been hard. It usually was so hard. And when you were singing that song this morning, it just hit me all of a sudden. Death has, what does that say? I can't read it. I wrote it down. Uh, It's lost its grip on me. Death has lost its grip on me because I was not alive. I was dead. But he brought me to life. And 25 years into marriage, God gave me a promise in some of our darkest times that our latter years would be our best. And we're living it. So if I could say anything to you, it would be, I didn't even have a dream. I couldn't imagine what I could do or be, and I still don't because I've always believed I'm not enough. And I think a lot of us believe that. And I'm not in myself, 
but it's embracing who he's made you to be and being that completely. So I just would encourage you to, to challenge the fact that maybe you live in some fear and you're comfortable and you don't want to be anything else. But I'm telling you, God has more for you. He has more for you. And I think that we're just, we're on the, just on the brink of experiencing all that, but we're so grateful. Thank you, honey. Thank you. The, uh, let me give you three quick things. I, I told you good news, bad news. Here's a little more good news. In order to get out of your comfort zone, you have to learn to trust God. You have to learn to let him put his arm around you, take you by the hand. He has said he would never, ever leave you. So you got to trust that. Uh, number two, you have to have faith. Uh, let me spell faith for you because you may spell it wrong. Faith is R-I-S-K. You take a risk. You get out of your comfort zone, it's taking a risk. To get out of the pits, to experience life, to have death lose its grip on you, to have freedom. Do you understand in a pit there is no freedom? You have walls around you. To get out of jail free, you come to Christ, let him take you by the hand and begin to lead you into the life that he has for you. Number three, you have to give up your excuses. One of the ways to do it is say, Lord, I can't, e I can't even see beyond the pit I'm in. I can't see beyond my circumstance. And so I'm going to let you take me by the hand now and lead me. Whatever you say do, I'll say yes to. Uh, honey, what? come here, would you? Come here. Yeah. Come up here. Do, do you know everybody here? Yes. Uh, you don't know me. What, what's your name? Mary. Really loud. Mary. Really loud. Mary. Okay. Mary, I watched you worship this morning. How old are you? Thirteen. Thirteen. Did, did you notice that Mary actually worshiped up here? I mean, she's just a dumb teenager, barely. <laughs> And, and wherever people will worship God with their whole heart, they're in trouble. And here's the trouble you're in, Mary. Because you've worshiped God, God's laid his hand upon you. Amen. And what he has for you, I don't know, but he has more than you just going to school, going to high school, going to college. His plan I'm not telling you not to do I'm just telling you his plan is deeper than that. Uh, do, have you ever uh, written music? No. Well, don't be surprised that God starts giving you songs in the night. They start going in your head, rolling over and over. And you see the pastor there? Don't be surprised if one day he says to you, Mary, we're ready to send you to, I'm going to say Europe or the Caribbean, because that's my area. And, and become, become well, because of what Christ is doing in you, 
you'll become one of those ladies who help lead other ladies into the mission field following Christ. Can, can you read that back there? Can you see that part? Mm-hmm. Read that. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, Mary, I want you to read it one more time. I want you to read it with authority, okay? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, one more time, Mary. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. 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 Would you uh, right now just pray for Mary? Amen. Amen. Mary, sit right there. Uh, I want to pray with you. And uh, if any of you feel any kind of stirring in your heart that God's trying to get you out of a pit of doubt, of unbelief, if he's calling you to take a step, a risk, whatever that would be without having full definition to it, I want to pray for you as well. So stand with me, would you? Lord, you know our path of which we walk. You know our fears, our doubts our aspirations that are hitting that we've never admitted to ourselves. Lord, not all of us are 13. We can't go back and be 13 again. But God, age has never mattered to you. You call young and you call old. You call everybody that's in between. And we want a heart that would say yes to you immediately. We want to respond with courage, not fear. We want to take a risk. We want to have the faith to say, Lord, I will trust you. So let me do this. Uh, I'm going to say amen in a minute and give it back to you, Pastor. And thank you for letting us be here, David. Do you call him David or Pastor? (laughs) Depends on what day it is. Uh, I I want to invite you, if you feel something stirring in your heart about, uh, it doesn't have to be missions, but about taking a chance, then uh, I'll I'll just wait down here. Mary will wait with me, and Nancy will be here, and we'd just like to just pray a prayer for you for that. So may the grace of God mess up your path. May his peace fill you while you're trusting him. May you know what the peace speaker is all about. So that when you walk out of your comfort zone, you walk into a brand new world full of his life. So that Christianity is no more normal for you. It's something more. It's something with the breath of the Holy Spirit on it. 
and you're changing the people around you because God's changing you. And so he's making you big and strong and powerful. And may you really know how much God loves you. How much he's so passionately in love with you. So much so he'll never leave you. Here's how God loves you. He loves you to death. He died for you. And he even likes you. And if you don't love him, he still loves you. Can you believe it? You can't get away from his love. May you experience that and take the gospel to the world.